Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Though it is a very serious problem, the discussion of our bee population doesn't get enough attention. Sid Lear is a veterinarian who, on his business card, now calls himself a beekeeper. What an interesting concept for a veterinarian. We asked and he agreed to talk to us about this very critical part of our ecosystem. Dr. Lear, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. With all the issues facing us, it seems that we've lost sufficient, again, attention to the role that bees have in our lives. Do you believe that people have become too cavalier about changes in the community and that their ability to pollinate and be part of our food chain? What's your overview on this? I think that whenever something is inconvenient to think about and talk about not immediately in front of us on a consistent basis, it's easy to take for granted and the tendency is to think that it will take care of itself. I think that's human nature and that's probably how we get into a lot of trouble a lot of the time. But it's not just the bee's ability to pollinate, it's their ability to survive that is at stake. It takes activists of all types to adopt causes that they publicize to drive us to do better as human beings and to be become better stewards of our planet. How did a veterinarian, whom we normally associate with in the society that I live in, in taking care of home pets, which is very important, there's no issue with that, that's that's key, but how did you come to, shall we say, specialize in taking care of bees? I think it's important to remember that there are veterinarians who do very little with home pets and they deal with our food-producing animals and bees are of food-producing animals and that they produce honey and pollen and propolis that people consume on a fairly regular basis and these are animals and veterinarians diagnose and treat animal disease so it really isn't that much of a jump. In 2017, the FDA began to require that antibiotics to treat bee bacterial diseases come under the supervision of a veterinarian. Things are beginning to change, but when I went to vet school in the mid-80s, none of us really thought of bees as needing treatment for disease. Most veterinarians really know nothing of bee disease and treatment, and all of a sudden the FDA was requiring that beekeepers consult with veterinarians to obtain orders for antibiotics. This is all about protecting our food supply and eliminating antibiotic residues and honey, because when a beekeeper could go to the local feed store and buy a bottle of antibiotics to mix in sugar syrup to feed bees. Who's paying attention that these antibiotics are being used properly when actually necessary with implications towards bacterial resistance and also with implications towards antibiotic residues in honey and the possibility of eating antibiotics in their honey. Nobody's paying attention to that when you could just go down to the local feed store and buy some antibiotics. So in 2017, the FDA decided that veterinarian has to be involved in every case of bee disease treated with antibiotics, and it comes down to the veterinarian's responsibility to make sure that his or her client, which is the beekeeper, is using antibiotics wisely and is keeping antibiotic-containing honey from exposing humans to antibiotics. It's interesting that one of the bacterial diseases that affects western honeybee is, is called American salbrut, and it's caused by a spore-forming bacteria. Commercial beekeepers that have thousands and thousands of beehives that they truck around the country, they have a lot of this disease in their colonies, and they have to use antibiotics on a regular basis to suppress the vegetative form of this bacterium. Otherwise, they wouldn't have any bees. These beekeepers generally consider pollination as their 
primary source of income from their bees and continuously feed antibiotics to their bees and dump the honey because it would be contaminated with antibiotics. It's a big problem. In 2017, the FDA mandated that beekeepers get to know veterinarians and veterinarians start to work with beekeepers just for this purpose. You bring up a couple interesting concepts. One is that, and I guess this is just from my own growing up and not knowing enough about pollination, but beekeepers actually take their bees to different places and, shall we say, rent them out for the day or whatever to different farmlands, and so things are spreading in that way? Is that accurate? Absolutely. That practice actually started thousands of years ago when the ancient Egyptian beekeepers would put their bee colonies on some type of a boat on the Nile River and take them up and down the Nile to different locations to pollinate the different crops, whatever they happen to be. I have no idea what they grew in ancient Egypt. That started back then, and, and right now we're at the very beginning of February, and the largest pollination event in the world is about to begin in the California almond groves. Millions and millions of bee colonies are right now on their way to the California almond country to service the almond trees that are in bloom for maybe three weeks. And all of the commercially kept bees, there's commercial beekeepers and there's backyard beekeepers. And backyard beekeepers typically don't participate in this. Commercial beekeepers are sending their bees out to California for two or three weeks where their bees will take care of pollinating almonds so that we'll have an almond crop next fall. Then the bees will go to Washington State and pollinate apples, and then they'll go to, they'll travel east from Washington State and they'll take care of blueberries. Some of them will return to Florida in March to do the, the orange groves. It's a big business. Pollination is most definitely the largest method of deriving income from bee colonies, especially since the Asian market has been dumping a lot of cheap honey into our local honey supplies. And so honey prices are pretty depressed and nobody's making any money selling honey these days. And the honey, you just said, might be contaminated if they're not aware of which antibiotics and other microbacteria and so on that the bees may be exposed to. Well, a beekeeper that's treating his bees is going to know what antibiotics they're being exposed to. But this brings up an interesting side topic. Whenever you're getting millions of bee colonies present in an area, there's what beekeepers call drift. One bee may not always return to its own colony. It may return to a different colony and be accepted into that colony and carry the antibiotics that it was treated with from its home colony to another colony. So, yeah, that can happen. Interesting. Most of us hear about pollination, and that is, of course, important. But a couple times in my life on the news, they'll say, don't go near a certain place. There's a hive of bees that's taken home. They've moved into a neighborhood, and you see this massive, countless number of bees hanging from a tree. And then the cops come, and they, they spray them, and they try to kill them. I see that you try to do this in a very humane manner. Can you tell me a little bit about why they cluster like that, and then how to deal with the, the bees, again, in, in a humane main manner. Sure, that's called bee rescue. Most beekeepers will do bee rescues because it's a way of increasing your number of bee colonies. And what these bees are doing out there, well, I need to back up a little bit. Bee reproduction occurs on two different levels. 
There's queen bees that mate once in their lives with 15 or 20 drones, and they store 5 to 7 million sperm, and they can lay eggs for years and produce more bees. A larger level, bees are a superorganism, and the colony is the unit of life. And for a colony to reproduce, what happens is when there's lots of nectar and pollen coming in and conditions are right for colony reproduction, the queen and maybe half to three-quarters of the bees in a colony will leave and go out and it's called a bivouac. They will bivouac on a tree limb or a, a sign or a fence post and they'll send out scouts to search for another cavity for this new colony to inhabit. When people run across these things, it's kind of scary for a lot of people who don't know what's going on. But a bee swarm, and this is the technically correct way to use the word swarm, because that's what that is, it's a swarm. They are the most docile bees that you'll ever find, because they have nothing to protect. All the honey they've got is what's stored in their belly, and they don't have any brood to protect, and they are not aggressive at all. These bees send out scouts to find another colony to inhabit, and they may be in this bivouac location for anywhere from four hours to four days, depending on how long it takes to find a suitable location. And then they'll all pick up and leave and go to this new location, and everybody will be happy again. So when we see them hanging on trees and there's, uh, again, a news alert, don't go on 15th Street, there's a massive colony of bees. Do you go in sometimes and help to remove them, to do them safely? Oh, sure. Tell me what that involves a little bit, please. I have to bring a box to transfer them into, and depending upon where the bees are, sometimes they can be shaken from a tree limb into the box and is as long as you get the queen to fall into the box, the rest of the bees will follow. Sometimes you have to vacuum up the bees with a special bee vac that really doesn't harm them. It just concentrates them. And the, the whole object is to get the bees from where they are into something that's movable so that it can be taken back to an apiary. And what you're doing is you're convincing the bees that this box is a good place for you to live and you should move your colony to this location. I've heard people going out and buying massive quantities of various insecticides and trying to spray it on the bees, which you're saying is really not necessary. No, those bees are only there in that location temporarily while they're out searching for another cavity to inhabit, and they'll be gone certainly within a few days and sometimes much more rapidly than that. Interesting. I'm learning so much that I'm almost a little bit embarrassed that I don't know these things. <laughs> but I have to ask about the occasional use of the term killer bee, because years ago there were movies about it. Everyone was scared. They're invading the United States. People were killing bees. And yet you say that most of them are docile. Is the killer bee thing an issue anymore? I don't hear about it anymore. I think it was the 1950s. Some researcher in South America imported queen bees from Africa in an attempt to hybridize the South American bees so that they would produce more honey in this tropical location where they weren't being so productive. And some of the bees in Africa, not all of them by any means, some of them from a particular location that have been hunted for eons, and by hunted I mean that 
humans and apes, when they found the location of a bee colony, would break into it to steal the honey and destroy it. Those bees developed more exaggerated defensive behaviors. Apparently, it was just natural selection, and the ones that were most defensive drove off the intruders more successfully, more regularly, and lived to pass on those more defensive genes. Those bees, they're not aggressive anymore than any other bee is, but they're much more defensive. My bees that I have here at home, for instance, I can go in and work in my colonies with just a veil and a smoker and maybe take one or two stings. These Africanized bees, so-called. They're more defensive in that they send out more guards to defend their colony, and they will chase you for a further distance when they do send them out. Even though all bees originally are from Africa, incidentally, the honeybee isn't native to the United States or North America. It came here in the 1600s with our colonists. The Africanized bees, particularly in warmer areas because they can't survive the cold, they were thought to be a threat, but we beekeepers who maintain western honeybee colonies dilute those Africanized genes because we're sending drone bees out into the area with more docile tendencies and they hybridize with queen bees that might be more Africanized and mitigate that problem significantly. I'm so glad to hear this. So the issue in our society has been that because of various pollutants, insecticides and the like, we are really doing a lot to jeopardize our food chain. Is there something that the average person can do to help maintain a good balance, restore things? What can the average person do to minimize the threat to the bee populations and a very important piece of our food chain? How can we help? That's a good question, and I'm not sure I know the answer to that, because the average person isn't responsible for today's farming practices, which are a big part of the problem. We talk about the pathogens, pesticides, poor nutrition. The poor nutrition part of it is involved with our farming practices, because just as you know, I mentioned a little while ago that all the bees in the country are now headed to California to do almonds. For three weeks, the only pollen that bees, bees will get will be almond pollen. And if almond pollen, pollen is the protein source for the developing bees. If it's short one or two amino acids, those bees are going to have some kind of a nutritional deficiency. And then the bees will go to apples for three weeks. And apples may not provide a complete amino acid profile and protein for developing bees either. And this is the poor nutrition part of this equation. Pesticides certainly play a role. It's thought that they play a role, even though Bayer and Monsanto vehemently deny this. They test pesticides on bees, and they say these pesticides do not kill bees. But there may very well be sublethal effects from these pesticides that may, for instance, affect bee behavior and interfere with the bee's ability to remember where it lives. So it goes out one morning to pollinate a pasture, and it can't find its way back home, and those bees do not survive. And you have that happen to enough of them, and the whole colony is going to collapse. Viral pathogens and bacterial pathogens that are affecting the bees as well. One particular parasite that is a mite 
that is spreading many, many viruses to many, many bee colonies. And this is the biggest problem that beekeepers have right now. This mite has been given the name Varroa destructor. The name says it all. And this mite feeds on the developing bee, and it feeds on adult bees, and in the process it spreads over 20 different viruses to the bee population, and you get enough viruses in a bee, and it can't function the way it's designed to. There are several thoughts that come to mind. The average image is of the bee going out, pollinating, coming back, but you are so correct, and I'm so pleased to talk to you about this, that as a beekeeper and especially as a veterinarian, you also have become well-tuned to the more subtle, less well-known realities of this population and how they live and what they do for us. It's a fascinating set of, of thoughts. And interestingly, just to go back to what you said at the beginning, I again feel humbled by the fact that I never thought of them as an animal. They seemed in my head to be clustered as an insect and I'm and my definitions are not precise here and I know that. But and insects somehow are not good for us. These are exceptionally good for us. All insects are good for us. So you're bringing to the discussion a notion that we have to revise how we look at these other compartments in our ecosystem of which we are really just apart. One thing to answer a question or two back a little bit better, what can the average person do? Yes. They can stop having their yard blanket sprayed to kill every insect on their property. Stay inside your house and keep the bugs out of your house. Let them live where they're designed to live outside in your soil and on your ornamental plants because it's blanket sterilization of our environment that is killing not only our honeybees but our native solitary bees. You know, I mentioned a little bit ago that the western honeybee was imported to this country in the 1600s to do pollination because the settlers were having problems growing peaches and plums and cherries without them. But before they arrived, we had solitary bees living in this country that didn't live in colonies. They had a very narrow niche in the environment where they perhaps only fed on one particular flower, and they pollinated that one particular flower much more efficiently than honeybees may be because honeybees are generalists and have developed to pollinate a wide variety of different flowers. But these solitary bees are having problems we're putting pesticides into our environment. I just read a study from Florida State where they studied bumblebees. I think it was in Arizona. And they found that the bumblebees were declining significantly because of pesticides that we're using on our crops and in our yards. Big problem. This is fascinating, and I wish we had more time. We'll get back and we'll do more to discuss this, again, because it is such an integral part of everything that we are. Fascinating. Sinlier is a veterinarian who has become a beekeeper. He works in southeast Florida. Dr. Lear, thank you for an incredible discussion about things that we need to be more aware of, sir. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You have a good day as well.